you're listening to Lost Souls Monologues. Today's monologue is George by Nilgin Yusuf. For those of you with younger listeners, please be aware that it contains some adult themes and sexual references. I am not a pervert. I am not a dirty old man. Yes, I agree, I touched her. Deliberately and with purpose. And I shouldn't have done that. But there was nothing sexual in it. There was no erotic charge. No, that's all. I didn't have a stiff wheel. There was no, no erection going on. Nothing like that. It was just hands. My hand on hers. And yes, I was close. Close enough to hear her breathing. Close enough to see the pile in her purple velvet jacket. Close enough to see her hair curl just so. And the edge of her core. And close enough to catch a trace of her fragrance. Which was fresh and sweet and smelt something like freezes. I was able to breathe her in. And just being so close. Fill the space momentarily that I confront day after day after day inside of me. Do you know what I'm talking about? Can you even begin to understand how it feels to be this alone? To be one of the great untouched in this city of ours? The sort of things that most people must take for granted every day of their lives. The unconscious, unthinking touching that just happens when you have people around you. Well, for me, those things are absent. Perhaps you have a child, son who's there you can raffle. You can put an arm around his shoulders whenever you feel like it, all's about together. Perhaps you have our most precious of beings, a tiny baby, soft and skin like a peach to hold close and love. How special that must be. Perhaps you have a lover, or a mother, or a brother. Some kind of significant other which might have two legs or four. But the thing is, it's okay for you to touch them in an affectionate way. For them to be near you, it's okay. Do you understand? I wasn't always like this. Or what I must appear to be. A strange, solitary man, always alone, always in transit, travelling, always travelling. Public transport is my home from home. I know the London Underground system as well as whoever designed it. Not a system itself, that's been evolved for over a hundred years, but the map. Old British Underground map is a design classic, you know. It was exhibited in New York's Museum of Modern Art and it's truly a thing of beauty. All those coloured lines covering the length and breadth of the capital. All those connections, interchanges. Meeting points, possibilities. I know every single one. I know which stations get the most packed at Russia. I know when it's likely to be standing room only. Central line, that's the red one, will be heaving at Oxford Circus at 17.10pm. And a Victoria line too. That's the mid-blue one, will be the same in the morning, just before 9am. You know that saying, it's a journey, not the destination. Well, for me, that is... Absolutely the truth. 
The journey is everything. Every day I ride a different line. No one sees me. People rarely look at each other on the London Underground. Seen as an act of aggression or hostility. I'm just an invisible commuter in my Mac or my navy blazer and grey slacks. I carry a briefcase which has a sandwich, notebook and a pen in it. I always dress respectably and there's nothing about my appearance to cause undue alarm or make anyone glance in my direction twice. These journeys have become the high point of my day. The bit I look forward to the most, especially the rush out. I used to have someone. Vera. She was my lady. My soulmate. And we shared almost everything for 70 years. Well, actually, 71 years, 8 months, 10 weeks, and 4 days. That's a very long time. When I was in the war, Vera would write me letters about how the tube stations would become like one big Anderson shelter. In Paddington, where we lived, then sirens would go off and everyone would head towards the underground. Vera and our neighbour Doreen would take blankets and flasks and prepare to bed down for the night. Above ground would be wailing of sirens and a circling of planes, but down there would be singing, laughter, real friendships being struck up. In some ways, I was quite envious. Sounded fun. The human spirit is an incredible thing. Although none of us wish for extreme circumstances, they do tend to bring people together. I had pals in the Air Force too. James and Stanley became good friends and we were together for a while but they never made it back. Focus shot down. I was lucky. Lots of people didn't make it back. Yeah, me and Vera, we never had children. For whatever reason, I don't know if it was Vera or me, but that just didn't happen for us. It was sort of great sadness, especially for Vera. She just really wanted to be a mother, and I knew that sometimes she would sit and cry about that. The monthly disappointments added up to years and then decades, and after so much time of not being able to conceive, the physical side of our relationship went by the wayside. Vera seemed to have lots of headaches, and I accepted this celibacy of our later lives as, a, as our new reality. Ah, we had each other, and we really did care. We still held hands every night. And we would go dancing, gliding around the ballroom, my hands around her waist, twirling in our world too. Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, let me see what spring is like on Jupiter or Mars, what night and day were She woke up complaining of a terrible headache. That morning she was sitting forward in her chair and she said to me, 
George, you seem to be upside down. That was the last word she ever said to me. Aneurysm, is it? Yeah, she was gone within 24 hours, just like that. I held her hand in the ambulance and later on in the hospital bed until it became cold. When someone close dies, people will rally around. There are phone calls from acquaintances and relatives and visits from neighbours. We had friends from the church and the legion. And casseroles, lots of casseroles. People would leave them outside my door. For a while, everyone is very thoughtful and they will take the time to see you and ask, how are you getting along? But eventually that dies off too. People will see you're getting on okay and the attention comes to an end and everyone goes back to getting on with their lives and then it's just silence. Long, lonely days and endless nights. Time moves so slowly when there's no one to pass comment with about the weather. Or special offers at the supermarket or, or what's flowering when. No one to share a meal with, that's hard. And while it's difficult not having someone to do things with, having someone to do nothing with is much harder. Every night I sleep on the left side of the bed. I could never sleep in the middle after we ever passed. Wouldn't have felt right. Because there is no witness to my life. It was like I had no life. I live and I breathe in my skin and bones. My vital organs are all functioning. I sleep, eat and defecate, but I am lonely. And that hurts. And I feel that it shouldn't. For heaven's sake, I survived Hitler and the civil service. I flew a fighter plane and won medals. I should be made of sterner stuff. But I am lonely. I do appreciate it's a state of mind. Some people apparently relish their own company, but somehow I think those people must have a choice. For them, solitude must offer respite from constantly being with colleagues, relatives, or friends, some kind of space to think. But like I said, they must have a choice. The thing that really got to me after we retired. The thing I had, I couldn't have appreciated or anticipated. It was a lack of touch. Sex thing I said goodbye to long ago, but it was a skin-on-skin -skin contact that I missed. Seems a small thing, I know, but not having a hand to hold, cheek to dance against, comforting hands to pat my shoulder, telling me it would be okay. This loss was the hardest to deal with. On the radio the other day, I heard about an experiment they did with baby monkeys. Some were separated from their mothers, and those ones, even though they were fed on the same diet as the ones with their mothers, failed to thrive. And I recognised that myself, this touch deprivation. feels like a shrinking of the soul, an internal withering. It was as though without someone to touch, I became less myself, less of a man, less of a human. 
without realising it, I started to change. I would start to seek out contact, like a sunflower turning to the sun. If, for instance, someone would ask me directions, I would embroil them in a long conversation just so I could take their elbow in my hand and point to where they should be going. I would lean into them as far as I dare. They'd always been helpful and courteous. Or at the supermarket, I would always take my time, count out my coins, then hold the cashier's hand steady with one of mine before putting the money into it. These were tiny things, but somehow I felt they did me good. How you feel a, a piece of well-cooked meat does you good? Or a mug of Horlicks on a bitter winter's night. These random exchanges seemed to warm me from the inside and anchor me back into myself. They made me feel more real. One day I was coming back from the Science Museum in South Kensington. I became so absorbed marvelling at the distant planets and the Hubble's telescope that I ended up leaving later than intended. I found myself caught up in the district in Russia, that's the green and yellow lines. I found myself swept along on this great wave of humanity. Hundreds of people all walking in the same direction. The tube was heaving and I found myself pressed up against a carriage full of living, breathing bodies. I knew for most people this was a kind of commuter carnage, daily hell, but I found it strangely comforting. No one paid me any attention, but as I was jostled along, I could feel myself becoming more alert and alive. I touched at least eight different individuals on this journey and no one was any of the wiser. In the way that the underground had once been sought as a place of solace and protection during the Blitz, it, it was to become a kind of refuge for me too. Especially in the Russia where I would find myself seeking out the crowds, bodies and hands. At home in Parsons Green there is a great map of the underground on my wall. I, I chart my journeys with military precision. I use coloured pins that match the tube lines to denote successful missions. The objective is always the same, to get close to strangers, close enough to touch them, to smell them, to be one of them. When that woman, Josephine was her name, reported me for harassment, I was prosecuted. She had apparently texted some number that is monitored by a control room and I was escorted off the tube by plainclothes officers. It was a shocking and humiliating moment. It was made clear to me through victim support scheme that my behaviour was unacceptable and inappropriate. Unfortunately for me, I was caught in the headlights of a new campaign that had been initiated to prevent unsolicited attention on the underground. I, George Anderson, was caught in my tracks and regarded as a triumphant catch. I was called terrible names in the media. An abuser, a molester, an old, old groper. That's certainly not me. It's just not, not who I am. 
He'd been wearing a velvet jacket. Vera sometimes wore a velvet jacket when we danced together, and I couldn't resist stroking it. For a brief moment I was young George, and Vera was back. But the Josephine woman was very upset. I had transgressed her body zone. Fortunately, my spotless record served me well in court. As part of my sentence, I was compelled to attend a cognitive therapy program that aims to change negative behaviours. They suggested that I stroke fabrics not attached to people and join clubs take out massage, and that I get myself a dog. This flat is too small for a dog. I'm not really a dog man. I went along with it. I had to. After the last session, I took time to thank Harriet, the convenient, by shaking her hand for as long as I could, to show my gratitude. Freedom Pass is a great thing, one of the best things about being a pensioner. <sighs> Tomorrow I'll take the Bakerloo line, that's a brown one. Brown, like rich, deep coffee. George was written by Nilgen Youssef, directed by Matt Gibbs and performed by Clive Moore. If you enjoyed today's Lost Souls monologue, don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a review. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. See you next time.